This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. It's a great honor for me to share a word with you this morning. And we are continuing with a battlefield of the mind. Just because this so it's a, it's a big battlefield. So we, we don't run out of things to say. So I want to start with a story this morning, something that happened to me in May 2014. I was flying back from Cape Town after a women's conference, and uh, at that stage, I was a very inexperienced flyer, so I didn't check in before the time. So I arrived at the airport, at the counter, and the, the guy said to me, the, the plane is full, and I need to now go stand at another counter and wait. And maybe, maybe there's space for me. So I honestly didn't understand anything he was telling me because I've never heard of an overbooked plane at that stage in my life. And I was, I was completely flustered and traumatized. And I've been away for three days from home. That for me was like light years, you know, <laughs> like a million years away from home. And... I was flying again the next, that was a Sunday, I was flying again the Thursday to Johannesburg. So for me, it was like, I need to get home. You know, this is serious business, I need to get home. But he sent me to another counter, and I phoned Andre, and when, I, when he answered, I started crying. And, uh, you know, sometimes a, woman, a woman's tears are very effective. It seems as if that day it worked. Because all of a sudden, somebody at the other counter, they called me, they switched from English to Afrikaans. Maybe they heard I was speaking Afrikaans. They said, And then said, we're going to get you on the plane. Don't worry, we're going to get you onto the plane. And next moment, they squeezed me in, in front of other people, you know, also waiting. And I just, you know, didn't look in their direction. I just took my bags and I, I um, left. Eventually, I made it back to East London, but I felt completely traumatized, and I was upset, and I was angry, and even though I'm not the kind of person who go to social media and say things, but I was super tempted that day. <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to say, but I was like, I need to say something because this is just not right, and Andre picked me up at the airport. We were driving home, my husband could see, you know, this is a problem situation. His wife is worked up. And you know what he said to me? Sonika, you need to forgive. And I was like, I don't even know who am I supposed to forgive. I just know I'm angry and I'm upset and I feel traumatized. And he said again, you need to forgive because you know this is the enemy wanting to, to steal your peace because you need to fly again on Thursday. And praise God, I took his advice. I said, God, I am so upset, but I forgive whoever overbooked the plane, and I pray that you'll heal my heart, and God did a miracle for me. I, was, I moved from super upset to peaceful, and I could not have done that in my own strength. And I just realized again the power of quick forgiveness, quick Quick, quick, quick forgiveness, immediate forgiveness. And you know, my, my husband's advice that I saved me from a trap of the enemy because the enemy wanted to get me offended so that every time I fly, I have this anxiety in me. What if? What if something else happens? What if I can't get home? What, especially if I fly alone. And at that stage in my life, flying for me was a big thing, especially when I fly on my own. Many reasons for that, but 
it wasn't an easy thing for me to do. So to deal with that was, was huge. And now, you know, looking back, I, I could see that trap. The enemy was waiting for me to take the bait of offense for fear for so many things when I fly again. And I don't know if you've ever been offended, but it happens in a split second. It happens quickly. The one moment you find, the next moment you're furious. And then if you don't deal with it quickly, it becomes an offense. And there's a scripture in Luke 17, verse 1. Jesus said, it is impossible that no offenses would come. So it will come. It will come for me. It will come for you. And we need to know how to deal with it because it's a trap. It's, it's a trap. The devil uses it as, as bait. And the moment we take it, we're trapped into all kinds of different emotions. And if we don't deal with it, it becomes uh, like, almost like this roller coaster of emotions that pops up every now and again. And we don't know what's going on. We, we act out of character because of a wound that never healed. And you know, an offense often start with an unmet expectation. So we have this expectation, it's not met, and then we get hurt, we're disappointed, and then it could potentially, most often, turn into bitterness and offense. And the bigger our expectation, the bigger the offense. That is why us Christians who come to church often find ourselves in church or the biggest offense often appear in church or often occur in church because we expect more of one another, right? If you work for a boss who do not know Jesus, it's, it's easier to forgive him, you know, if he gets upset or if he treats you unjustly. But now you work for a Christian. And how dare he treat you like that? Doesn't he read his Bible? You know, we, we, we feel justified to be upset because... That person is wrong, and he's a Christian. So our expectation is higher, so our offense is bigger in church. And this is why I want to talk to you today, because it's a trap of the enemy. Our hearts close. We walk away from things that God calls us to do because of hurt and offense in the church. And the devil wants to break our connection with God, because also sometimes we get offended with God. Because we've prayed so many times to be healed. We prayed so, we've made our desires known to him so many times. We've served him faithfully. And he's still not answering our prayers. And, you know, it's underlying, but it's there. You know, we, we're very subtly offended with the king of kings that we serve faithfully. And the, the, the enemy wants to trap us into... A space where, where our connection with God is broken and our connection with people are broken. And he uses offense as bait. So this morning I want to say to you, don't take the bait. And if you have taken the bait, I'm going to share with you how to free yourself from that trap by God's grace. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you that you know the condition of our hearts. God, these are your people that you love. These are your people, Lord, that, that you intimately pursue. You know the condition of their hearts. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'll shine a spotlight today on any condition that needs healing. 
any condition that needs freedom, any wound, even from years back, where you still need to do surgery. And I pray that you will guide us through that journey and that process this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we deal with an offense? We become a powerful person instead of a victim. So I want to read you a few things, uh, a, a few definitions or trademarks of powerful people. Powerful people do not control others. They simply control themselves. Powerful people choose to love regardless of what anyone did to them. Powerful people do not demand respect. They simply respect others. Powerful people don't react, but they act in godliness. Powerful people are not affected by the environment, but they change the atmosphere. And powerful people don't overcome evil with evil. They overcome evil evil with good. So so often we think the powerful people in our society are the ones who are brave and strong and they, they talk a lot or they, they're the leaders, you know, the powerful people. But sometimes the, the, those who, who talk a lot and those who are bold and brave, they're not necessarily powerful. They could be powerless. If they overcome evil with evil, if they try to control, if they if they demand respect, they become powerless. And God wants us to be powerful in Him. And I know all of you now want to know, so how do I, Sonica? Okay, fine. How do I become a powerful person? And I'm so glad you asked because I've prepared an answer. I, I knew that you were going to ask that question. John 15, verse 5, I believe, give us the answer. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. You abide in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, I mean, I've often meditated on the scripture and I think, without Jesus I can do nothing. Wouldn't I be able to get up in, in the morning? Wouldn't I be able to do my work? You see, and, and, and God gave me a, a revelation. We all have natural ability. Some people are by nature, they're kind or they're patient, or they are self-controlled more than others. But that natural ability would only be able to take you so far. It, it would only be able to work for you when things are going well, when you're not tired, when everybody's nice, then you're kind, and you're gracious, and you are faithful. But the moment life hits you hard, the moment people treat you, you know, unexpectedly harsh, then it's not enough. Then we become powerless if we are not connected to the vine. So a powerful person is connected to the power source, and his name is Jesus. And all of us come to a, a, a stage in our life or moments in our lives where we cannot fix things ourselves. Our natural ability to be faithful or self-controlled or kind or loving, it's not enough. That is why we need Jesus. That is why we need to abide in the vine. And if we want to become powerful people who overcome evil with good, then we need to be connected. So if we abide in the vine, what does that mean? It simply means we are connected to Jesus. It doesn't mean you come to church. It doesn't even mean that you read your Bible. That's not the primary way of being connected. A connection 
you, you will all know when you're connected or not. Even in a marriage, sometimes people disconnect and you know it. You know you're disconnected. When I disconnect from Andre, I immediately know it. And both of us have committed to restore our connection as soon as possible because we feel it. We feel it. And as our son grows older, he feels it as well. (laughs) He can see mommy and daddy aren't connected. It's very obvious when we're not connected. So if we want to be abiding in the vine, we need to connect with God. We need to stay connected. And when we disconnect, we need to reconnect. All of us disconnect from time to time, from people, from God. Then we simply need to reconnect, and it's easier than what you think. Because the veil is torn and the tomb is empty. Jesus has paid the price. When we draw near to him, he says, he draws near to us. We draw near to him. It's as simple as that, to reconnect. But we need to do it daily, and we need to abide in the vine. Because what happens when we abide in the vine? We bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's something that automatically comes in a moment when we need it, when we are connected to the power source. But when we're not connected, we lose our temper. We become impatient. We, We try to be kind, but the words that come out are not kind. Not because we are bad people, just because we're not connected. We need to be connected because in those moments of weakness, of vulnerability, of when we feel tired, worn out, fearful, then the only way to be powerful people who are kind and gentle and overcome evil with good is when we are connected to the vine. Amen. So a powerful person is connected to the power source and his name is jesus amen so i want to share with you two outflows when we are connected to the vine two outflows that will flow out of that connection and that will help us to deal with an with an offense so the first one i'm sure you're all familiar with this one but i want to dig deeper this morning unpack it for you is forgiveness when we are able, when we are connected to the vine it's easier to forgive in fact i almost want to say that it's impossible to truly forgive if we are not connected because god needs to do a miracle in your heart you know every time i need to forgive i think why is this so difficult i've done it so many times and again it's so difficult Why? Because if we come to a place where we need to forgive, it's because we are wounded. It's because something happened that deeply, deeply wounded or disappointed us, and we cannot go through the forgiveness process without God's help. So often we don't forgive, or we don't truly forgive because purely it's so difficult. It hurts so much you don't even know where to start. And I want to read your scripture in Colossians 3. Verse 12 to 13, that says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So whenever the Bible talks about clothing ourselves with something, 
It means it's not about us, right? When we put on clothes, it's something that it, it's, it doesn't depend on us. So I see it as when we spend time with God, when we connect with Him, He clothes us with these things. It's not something we need to work up or work for. He gives it to us and we put it on and it strengthens us. So make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. This is a loaded scripture. But that portion that says make allowance for each other's faults. I want to explain it to you like this. We all have a budget, I hope. You guys have budgets. (laughs) But there's something like a forgiveness budget, right? We need to work in, we need to make allowance for other people's faults in our forgiveness budget. We need to work it in. Don't be surprised if somebody disappoints you. Jesus said it is impossible that offenses wouldn't come. It, It will come. So work it in to your budget of forgiveness. Be prepared to forgive. Be prepared. Plan for it. Don't be overly sensitive, but don't be freaked out when somebody disappoints you. It will happen. You know, just get married. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just get married. <laughs> then you learn to forgive quickly. Quickly and immediately and continuously. <laughs> you know, sometimes we say things like, I'm not offended, I'm just hurt. Or I'm just disappointed. Now, the danger with that is we don't think it's necessarily important to forgive when we are hurt or disappointed. We, we kind of let it linger. And we kind of water that dirt and disappointment a little bit because we feel justified. We feel entitled. I'm not offended. I'm just hurt. And you never go through the process of forgiveness because you feel justified to be hurt. You feel, I'm going to be the victim after all. If you are hurt, it's somebody else's fault, not yours. And it hurts so much that you talk about it to other people and you share it and you water it and this thing grows. And before you know it, it's a solid offense. It's a solid stronghold in your heart that you now need to, to put more effort in to get rid of. So... I want to encourage you to to acknowledge when you are offended, even though it feels awkward sometimes. To to say I'm hurt or disappointed, it it feels, okay, I'm disappointed. But the moment we say I'm offended, we're kind of this for us, you know. In in our culture, there's this little red light. Oh, you're offended, you need to forgive. You're offended, you need to forgive. But when when we stick to I'm hurt, Does that make sense to you? So ultimately, the sooner we acknowledge that we've taken the bait and that we're offended, the quicker God can set us free. And it's only possible with the help of God. So don't even try to forgive in your own strength. It's tiring. It doesn't really work. We need to be connected to the source of power. We need to be connected to Jesus. He does the miracle. Right, so in, in 2002, it's almost 20 years ago, 
Shofar launched its first, the whole Shofar group, we were very small at that stage, or fairly small, first music album. 2002, at that stage, I was in the worship team, I was playing a lot, many events, many church, uh, church services, often for three, sun, three services on a Sunday, so I was very involved, and I couldn't be part of the recording of this album due to work commitments, but I had this expectation that I will play at the launch. In fact, I had the expectation that the whole team, everybody somehow is going to get a something, tambourine or something, of a little triangle, you're going to do something at least on stage. <laughs> and when the time came closer for this launch, this big event, in one of the school halls in Stellenbosch, they decided to ask professional musicians, like really, really good musicians, to play at the launch. And one of them was a professional keyboard player. He's very good. He's a Christian, but many of them were not in Shofar, so it was external people. And surprise, surprise, that crushed my heart because I was very involved. And you know how the enemy works? You feel... Yeah, you, when you need me, then I'm good enough. But no, I'm not good enough anymore. It's, it's serious how the enemy comes for your thoughts. And it was very difficult for me. Now, on the evening, we go to the launch. Andre and I, we worship. The song start. And somewhere during the evening, I started crying. Now, not like small tears, you know, that you can wipe with one tissue, like <laughs> buckets, <laughs> Buckets, a little bit hysterical, kind of, you know. And, and I walked out of the hall, and Andre was still like, what's going on with you? Where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, don't feel good. <laughs> now I walk out of the hall. This is, my, this is my ministry. This is my church. I must be happy. I must be celebrating. We're doing our first worship album, and I'm in a state and I felt undervalued, I felt rejected, I felt an offense, a massive offense coming from my heart. And I had to make serious business with God, to wrestle through it, because for me, it wasn't a, a small thing, it was a big thing. And you know, when, when I started talking to God, He wasn't very sympathetic with my tears, He it wasn't shame, Sonica, understand, you know, you're laying down your life. This is how they treat you. It's not right, my daughter. I, you, I, I really feel sorry for you. Nothing like that. It was more like, Sonica, who are you doing this for? For me or for people? Do you want to be seen? Why do you want to be on stage? Why do you want to be part of this thing? Is it to, to be seen? Because if it's really just about me, you can worship you, me in your inner room where nobody sees, and that should be good enough for you. And you know, God got my attention, and he started purifying my heart. And today, it's one of my biggest treasures that I have, because God purified my, my heart in terms of worship, which is so important for what I do today. And I'm so thankful that I didn't walk away from worship altogether because the enemy was so clever. He was, he was using this as bait and he wanted me to fall for this trap so that I will say I'll never be in a worship team again. You know, that kind of attitude. I'll never be in a worship team again because if this is how they're going to treat me, I'm not interested. 
right? And by God's grace, I forgave. By God's grace, I, I wrestled through it. And God did the most beautiful. But I want to ask you this morning, what have you walked away from because of hurt or disappointment or offense? What job have you left? Not because God told you to move on, but because of an offense. What church have you left because of an offense? What relationship, what friendship have you left? What have you walked away from because of an offense? And is it maybe something that God called you to do? Is it maybe something that he didn't walk, wanted you to walk away from, but you couldn't deal with it due to the hardness of your heart, and you're still not doing it to this day? What have you walked away from due to bitterness, offense? What relationship have you left? What friendship have you left? What have you walked away from? I want you to think about it. And should you perhaps again pick it up? Should you perhaps again pursue that thing again? So how do we practically forgive? We always say we need to forgive, we need to forgive. How do we do it practically? I'm going to unpack it for you quickly. First of all, a godly perception of the offender helps a lot, a great deal. Because if you, if you have an, uh, an abusive dad, for example, or an abusive teacher, or an abusive um, boss, if you can picture that person as a little child being abused by a teacher or a parent, your, your anger levels drop and your compassion levels rise, right? Because an abusive person doesn't, you're not just born abusive. You know, the, the, the life hits you hard in some or other way and you do not know how to deal with it. Nobody guides you through the process and to protect yourself, you become abusive, and when you, when you have a godly perception that somewhere that person has been wounded, it, it's a very good starting point, especially when it's a, a, a big offense, especially if you've really been treated harshly or in, a, in an abusive relationship. Then we need to learn to forgive immediately and continuously. Remember, remember my story about the, the, the airport? I'm so thankful I forgave immediately. I was set free within minutes. I still remember it to this day. So the quicker we move to anger or bitterness or disappointment to forgiveness, the better your chances of being free altogether. But it, like I say, the moment we water it and we just grows. And then it takes longer. So immediate forgiveness is the most effective. Then we need to learn to forgive continuously. 70 times 7, remember? It's a lot of times. Many of us battle to forgive once or twice. Jesus wasn't very sympathetic. He said 70 times 7. Because he knows that's what we need. He knows that's what's going to make us a healthy, powerful person. He knows it's good for us, 70 times 7. So immediately and continuously, how, how do we practically do that? 
We need to bring it into the light. So you need to speak to somebody. You don't speak to somebody who is going to feel your offense. So you can't speak to somebody who's saying, shame. How can they do this to you? It's horrible. It's horrible. Well, you know, like the men, who, who, who can I hit? You know, who's the person? Let me go put on my boxing gloves. <laughs> or, you know, if, if that is the wrong person to speak to, you, you're going to feel better in the moment, but your offense is going to grow. So you need to speak to somebody who's going to tell you, Sonika, you need to forgive. And, and often you like, now you're offended with this person as well. <laughs> you're so unkind. <laughs> now you need to forgive that person as well. That is a real friend. A real friend will love you. And they will sympathize. And they will pray. But they're going to tell you, you need to forgive. And some of us have things that happened years ago. We need to forgive. Some of us need to forgive God. Even though I always say it's not theologically correct to forgive God. He's done nothing wrong. But we need to go through the same process. Because we've put our trust in him. And according to our understanding, he didn't answer our prayers. Now we are offended with him. And we need to acknowledge that. Otherwise, this thing grows and our faith is on a very shaky foundation. So whether it's a person, whether it's an institution, whether it's an organization, whether it's God, we use the same process. So after you've brought it into the light, you stop speaking to people. This, this is just my experience of this whole thing. If you're going to speak to 20 people, and they're all going to sympathize, and they're all going to agree that that was horrible, this thing's going to grow. So, yes, do speak to at least one person, but speak to people who will pray with you, who will encourage you to forgive, right? Stop speaking to people and start speaking to God. When you speak to God, you tell him the whole deal, you know? that you're frustrated, that you're angry, that you're bitten. God, did you see that? Did you see that? You are real with God. You're real and open and honest. He can take it, right? He can take it. And then you ask him to change your heart. You ask him. Say, Lord, this is how I feel. But I know that you're a miracle worker. I know that you are in the business of transformation. Change my heart. Right? Then you start releasing forgiveness verbally. So you need to say, I forgive my sister for gossiping about me. I forgive my boss. And you call the person by name in your inner room, not on social media. <laughs> in your inner room, I forgive my sister for doing this. I forgive my friend. I forgive my spouse. I forgive my boss. I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. You say it 15 times. 50 or 60, you do it as many times. The moment you feel a little bit of a release, like, okay. Like almost like something heavy lifting, then you can stop. And if that heavy thing is back the next day, you start again. So I forgive my boss. I need to face him again today, Lord. I forgive him. You say it out loud until that thing lifts. Then you start blessing it's the next step. Sometimes it takes a couple of days or even weeks. But the sooner you can get to this point, the better for your internal health. So you, you bless. You say, God, I bless my boss. 
I bless my friend. I pray you'll prosper him. I pray for his marriage, Lord. I pray a blessing over him. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to feel completely fake and hypocritical because you don't really want him to be blessed. <laughs> but allow God to, lead, to change your heart. You do what is right, you know. We must be doer of the words. God didn't say we must change ourselves. He didn't say that we must transform ourselves. That's his business. But we need to be doers of the words. And if we are doer of the word, in, in Luke 6, it says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. This is... Higher grade Christianity. <laughs> this is very difficult. But this is our job. God's job is to change our hearts, to do a miracle. Don't you worry about that part. You just be obedient to the word. And then you step aside and let God deal with the offender. Because we, we want to avenge ourselves, right? We want to like, God, please restore my reputation. Please show them that I'm innocent, you know? You can pray those things in your inner room, but don't feel that you need to prove and you need to, you know, you need to, you know, make something happen in the natural to prove something. Give it to God. You are responsible for your own heart. God is responsible to restore your name or your reputation or this, whatever. He, he, he will deal with unjust leaders. He will. God is just. He sees everything. You know, and all of us will stand before God one day. An unjust leader will stand before God, but I will stand before God for my own heart. You know, so I can worry about all the, the injustice in the world, and then I come to God one day and He says to me, Sonika, I asked you to forgive and you didn't. So, it's not my responsibility to sort out what other people do, but I have a responsibility for my own heart. And I'm going to stand before God just as that person's going to stand before God, right? And you can test it by actually, if you've truly forgiven somebody, that you can think about the person without hatred, without regret, without bitterness. And I'm not saying you must be best friends. It doesn't work like that always. Sometimes it does. Sometimes this is what God does. But I'm not saying you're going to be best buddies and you're going to go for coffee every week. Sometimes it's not a kind of relationship that can ever be restored like that. But you can think about the person without bitterness, hatred, and you can bless him or her. Amen? Corrie ten Boom said, Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. And if there's somebody that can talk about this, then it's this woman. <laughs> right. Let's talk about peacemaking. So the first outflow of a powerful person is we are able to forgive. Not superficially, real forgiveness. Second outflow is we are able to make peace. So Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or daughters of God. So if we continually avoid conflict, sweep things under the rug. We don't talk about things. We are not a powerful person. We are a powerless person. And the thing is, peacekeeping feels very peaceful in the moment because nobody's talking. So it feels peaceful. But 
in the long term, it leads to frustration, strange relationships. It, it, it's kind of like a time bomb, you know, waiting to explode. When we do peacemaking, it sometimes feels like war. It, it feels uncomfortable. But in the long term, it leads to peace. It really does. And I'm not saying talk about anything and everything. We need to learn to pick our battles, right? If you're married, you can't now speak to your wife or your husband about everything every day. You're going to drive the person crazy. So you pick your battle. You say, okay, God, I have a list of 20 things. Where should I start? <laughs> and you start with a thing that's really important. And for the rest, you let it go. Okay, so peacemaking isn't about talking about every little thing. Because then we move to being controlling, right? Some things we need to let go and let God. Some things we need to talk about. So if we want our relationships to flourish, we need to learn to speak. We need to learn to speak about the things that are really important. We do it prayerfully. We ask God for wisdom because our battle is never against the person, right? We're not fighting against a person. There's a real enemy that wants to divide us wants to destroy our relationships, and we need to learn to not make the person the enemy. We need to channel our warfare into the direction of our enemy who wants to divide. Go read Ephesians 6, right? Battle is not against flesh and blood. And sometimes peacemaking is purely honest communication before or after an offense. So sometimes we think peacemaking is... Something happened, now I need to make peace. But I've learned that peacemaking can happen before an offense. So let me quickly give you an example. We actually avoid an offense by honest communication. So I had the privilege of having my birthday this year on a twin, also in the middle of lockdown. We can't go anywhere. And it's also in the middle of making videos, right? Because we can't... Gather in church, we now need to somehow get a message to you guys. So let me just give you a glimpse of how that worked. You just saw the end product. So first of all, you prepare a message. Very different to what I do today. Because you can't wing it. You can't see people's faces. It's just the camera. You don't know if they're going to laugh. It's like walk by, walk by faith and not by sight. You have no idea if they're even listening or going to listen. You just do it. So you prepare thoroughly. It takes a long time. Then you set up of house looked like a recording studio. Cameras, lights, blankets to improve the sound. And then when I want to plate out of the drawer, I kind of move a light, you know. The kitchen was full of, full of video equipment. Then you do your recording. All that Andrea had to do was to shave and to put on a different shirt than the previous time. That was... <laughs> And then I, I helped him with that as well. And then <laughs> that was, and then, you know, he was ready. With me, I needed time because I can't not wash my hair and appear on a video. It's already intimidating after you've washed your hair <laughs> to appear in a video. So now I need to make myself respectable, right? That's another hour and a half or something. Now you do your recording. Then you fight against haridas, dogs, cars, flies that magically appears. Well, it wasn't there, now it's there. <laughs> then it's the recording. Okay, then the editing starts. Now the editing in the beginning, it went quicker. 
later on, to take Andre between 8 and 10 hours for a 40-minute sermon. True. No jokes. So we look for video clips. We look for photos. We look for music to keep you guys awake. Because, you know, if we do all this effort and you fall asleep, that would be very sad. So now, this is the background. It's the Tuesday. My birthday is the Saturday. So now I can see Andre's head is it's in video mode. He must still record and edit, you know, go through this whole process, prepare before the Sunday, and it's the Tuesday. So I don't know if you've ever had kind of an offense feeling. You feel it's coming. The poor person hasn't even disappointed you, but you're already kind of feeling slightly offended. I don't know if it's just me. So I'm super worried. You know, I'm super worried that nothing's going to happen on my birthday. And I decided I'm going to do peacemaking before the offense. <laughs> now, I, now it's, it's dinner time. We all, Andre and Fiano, you know, eating this supper. They know nothing about my internal turmoil. Now I start. It's awkward, right? I mean, it's, it's peaceful, and now I mess it up. This is why I say peacemaking feels like war in the moment. It's peaceful, joyful. Now, mommy doesn't look so happy all of a sudden. Now, I say, guys, if, if I, I try to be, you know, as logical and unemotional as possible. Guys, if you want to see me cry on Saturday, then you must do very little. Or you must come up with some kind of excuse that it was a busy week or something. And it was awkward silence. <laughs> Andre's eyes went like this, and Vian was, I could see Vian immediately, he said, no, 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 mommy, we're not going to make you cry, we're going to do something, <laughs> you know. So the end result is the two men disappeared behind closed doors for 10 minutes, only 10 minutes, so it's what it takes to keep a woman happy, right? <laughs> and I had the most amazing birthday. It was one of the best ever, I use these words sparingly, and... <laughs> You see, Andre couldn't rely on Sanuk or Grazia or anything. They had to make it happen. Okay, one day, when there's time, I'm going to tell you what they did. The men can find my husband, or my, you can talk to my son. He is full of ideas. But you see, I avoided a potential offense by communicating my desires. Now, ladies, I know... <laughs> That all of us think by now our husbands should know our favorite color, flower, perfume, the salon where we do our nails, they should. They don't. They don't unless we tell them and unless we remind them. If, okay, let me just clarify. I'll clarify. Uh, I can't think of the right word now. If your husband, if he does do these things or does know it and if he does something productive, Consider yourself a really lucky woman, <laughs> okay, because you, you have a, it's a rare species, that kind of husband's rare, <laughs> but we cannot communicate our desires and then have an expectation and then be offended in any case. We need to communicate and then let it go, but we cannot blame our best friend or our husband or you're expecting something of someone, and the person doesn't even know it. Now, that's unfair, right? It, it's, it's unfair. You have this expectation. 
The person is unaware of your expectation. Now you are offended. Now, I call that an unfair offense. Because we need to communicate. So a powerful person is not somebody who sits in the corner and never communicates a desire. It's somebody who communicates and then let it go. Let it go. So husbands, if you want to improve the emotional stability of your wife, then I have these tips for you. (laughs) Remember her birthday. Not only remember, make some effort. Okay? Study her. Study her. Ask about things that she likes and then drive to that little shop. It's going to take you maybe 30 minutes. I know it's a lot of time. But drive there, buy that thing for her and give it to her on her birthday. Or, or Mother's Day, you know, Mother's Day. I don't know, for some reason, Mother's Day, anniversaries, birthdays. For ladies, I'm speaking on behalf of the girls, right? So please forgive me, guys. It's, it's super important. Something in us feel truly valued or truly unloved depending on what happens on Mother's Day if you're a mother. If it feels to you as if everybody has forgotten that it's Mother's Day, your, your love tank, it, it's like almost like there's a leak, like this massive leak. All the love's gone, you know. All the, like Andre says, you know, he works and he works, you know, he does so much effort and then, you know, he's got a lot of points in the bank. And then it, he loses it like this, <laughs> you know, quickly. This is what happens when it's Mother's Day and there's nothing, nothing, like just this. Your husband doesn't even realize, you know, why you feel what you feel. But you can do peacemaking before an offense. You know, we need to communicate our desires. So in closing, in closing, on a bit more serious note, some of you might have been hurt by me. Some of you might have been hurt by Andre. It happens quickly. It happens easily, like I say, especially in church. You have a high expectation of us. And when we do something that hurts you, it, it really hurts. And most of the time, we are completely unaware of it. So I want to ask your forgiveness today. I want to ask if we've ever said something, done something that hurt you, it made you feel unvaluable, made you feel insignificant. I want to apologize, and I want to ask that you forgive us. Because it's such a massive trap of the enemy to either turn away from God, turn away from church, or to sit in church and not receive, because your heart has grown cold. And even if you leave the church, you take that offense with you. To your next church. Now, everything the leadership does, you view from, from a specific lens. You, you view it from an offended lens. So the chances that you'll be offended again is very good. Then you sit with the same problem. Then you try another church. It happens again. So I want to ask you, put us in the box of we are human. Make allowance, like that scripture says, make allowance for our faults. And please forgive us if we hurt you.
Because if it hasn't happened yet, I pray that it wouldn't happen, but it might happen. And the enemy wants to trick you into a place where we can't receive God's word anymore. Amen. So if you are offended at any church leader, if anybody's ever hurt you in church, I want to, on their behalf, apologize, ask that you'll forgive us. Amen. I want us to do a declaration. I'm going to read it first, and then you guys can join me. Now, how it works with the declaration, you don't always feel as if you mean every word. You didn't write this yourself. But the way, we, the way a declaration works is we do it by faith, whether your heart is fully in it or not. You make this declaration, and you declare the truth, and then your heart changes. Then it's up to God, and He will change our hearts, right? So let me, let me read this. I declare that I will abide in the vine, and I will stay connected to God daily. I declare that I'm a powerful person, someone who is connected to the power source. I cannot control others, but I can control myself. I will not overcome evil with evil, but I will overcome evil with good. I choose not to react, but to act in a godly way. I am a peacemaker and not a peacekeeper. I forgive immediately and continuously, and I will not take the bait of Satan. Are you guys ready to declare this with me? Let's do it together. I declare that I will abide in the vine and I will stay connected to God daily. I declare that I'm a powerful person, someone who is connected to the power source. I cannot control others, but I can control myself. I will not overcome evil with evil, but I will overcome evil with good. I choose not to react, but to act in a godly way. I am a peacemaker and not a peacekeeper. I forgive immediately and continuously. And I will not take the bait of Satan in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.